Hello, everyone. Welcome to Behind the Movement. My guest today is my good friend, Brendan Weefer. I'll be getting to that momentarily. Quick announcements. Um, I did two weeks uh, co-facilitating next to my friend, Roya Carreras, uh, at Perry Dance. And we call the event Movement Conversations. It was a huge hit. We were invited to come back and do three more weekends, so we will be there this Sunday, the following Sunday, and the Sunday after that from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m., and that's at Perry Dance in New York City. Um, if you want to sign up, you can just go to perrydance.com, and they should have a full schedule there. I'm doing two more weeks of Infinite Play in New York City. If you want to sign up for that, you can just go to my website, kylefintram.com, and then in the spring, in the summer, I've got a whole tour lined up in North America and Europe that I'm really excited about and I'll be talking more and more about as it gets closer, but all those dates are available and there's also a bunch of early bird pricing available on it as well. And again, that's at my website, kylefincham.com. And my last announcement, I decided to uh, do a limited run of these awesome Infinite Play Ripstop Gi Pants uh, I put a post up about it, and, and it's totally true. A few years back, maybe four years ago, five, I don't know, five years ago, I started wearing my jujitsu pants for everything that I did outside of jujitsu when I was playing, when I was dancing, when I was fighting, and uh, they just seemed so perfect. They were durable. They were comfortable. They were loose, um, and then a friend of mine asked if I was interested in designing some custom infinite play ones. I said, sure, let's take a look. They came out. They're awesome. I love them. So we're doing a, a limited run. All orders need to be received by April 11th. There's a whole bunch of photos of them on the online store page of my website. Um, yeah, so put in your order and then all the pants will be shipped at the same time about six weeks after April 11th. Those are my announcements, short and snappy. Let's get to this chat with my friend, Brendan. Uh, Brendan and I know each other from the Marcelo, Gar Marcelo Garcia Jiu-Jitsu Academy. Uh, we became friends. We spoke quite a bit throughout COVID. Um, yeah, this is just one of many, many, many conversations that we've had, and uh, this is just uh, happens to be the one that we recorded. Uh, so yeah, I think he's got a really interesting background, interesting story, um, so I'm excited to share this with you. Let me give you a little bit of Brendan's background. As a child, Brendan was drawn to martial arts and began training in Taekwondo in 1988 when he was just five years old. Three years later, he began wrestling. Brendan competed in Taekwondo from 1988 to 1994, where he competed and placed multiple times on a national level and wrestled competitively from 1990 to 2002. In college, Brendan discovered kickboxing and began competing in local fights in Massachusetts. From 2005 to 2012, Brennan was a professional mixed martial artist and kickboxer competing on the world's biggest stages. Fighting out of Jackson Wink in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and fighting Arts Academy in Springfield, Massachusetts, he amassed 16 professional fights, 10 in mixed martial arts, and 6 in kickboxing. He retired in 2012 with a 7-3 record in MMA and a 4-2 record in kickboxing. Brendan trained with some of the industry's biggest names. His experience includes a professional kickboxing, kickboxing fighting in Thailand 
Uh, and in 2012, Brennan got to live a dream fighting in for the UFC's Ultimate Fighter, season 15. Brennan also was a competitor on Steve Austin's Broken Skull Challenge, season 3 in 2015. A few years after retiring from his professional fight career, competing on the world's biggest stages, Brennan decided to leave consumer-facing gyms. Uh, to found Be Well Consulting in order to expand the reach of his impact to a wider demographic, providing services to corporations. Shortly after, Brennan began getting traction and consulting for a mid-sized pharmaceutical company, providing a digital wellness curriculum. In 2016, Brennan also accepted a more significant consulting position at a large hedge fund where he had been consulting for a number of years. There, he developed group classes, private programming for the partners of the firm, and performed an operational role managing the gym facility while he was forming Workweek Wellness. In February 2017, Brendan launched Workweek Wellness, a full, scalable, white-labeled, content-driven platform designed to improve the lives of people in corporate environments. After spending a year in NYU's EdTech program and finding traction with Workweek Wellness and finding inspiration from his mother, Brendan then decided to launch a wellness company geared towards active seniors called LifeProof. The mission is to help retirees increase the quality of their life and prolong their longevity by improving their personal wellness effort by using computer vision. After completing the NYC Media Lab with LifeProof, Brendan wanted to find a way to help during the COVID crisis, so he teamed up with a friend who was also looking to make a difference. During the pandemic, and started actively young. He also joined the founding team of Pastor, whose mission is to provide students with the firsthand experience of a Broadway, of Broadway taught by the stars in the show. In the late fall of 2021, Brennan joined the Nobody team and works in a business lead role for their health and wellness companies, where he is bringing companies from the idea stage into the market creating and testing MVPs. As I said, Brendan's a good friend. I'm really happy that he took the time to uh, to chat with me here, and I think you're going to really enjoy it as well. So I won't waste any more time. Here's my conversation with Brendan Weaver. For you and I, we've had a lot of conversations, especially in the last like year and a half or so. Yeah. Um, so I think to myself, like, oh, like, or like, what are the things that I I feel like. Because, because we, we, I would say you and I volley very nicely, right? Mm-hmm. In a conversation, but in an opportunity where I'm like, oh, well, this is an opportunity for it to be a little more like 70, 30. Like I'm like, oh, I get to actually spend a, just a little extra effort if I want to, to like shine the light on you rather than what we would normally do over coffee or right. something where it it's this kind of like 50, 50 dance. Um, and I realized- I always that, enjoy yeah, yeah, me too. And I think that like, you know, I would, I would put it up there as a silver lining of COVID, uh, our, our friendship. Yes. Um, but I'm like, oh, well, with this unique opportunity to like present you, I'm, I'm, I thought to myself like, oh, like what are the things I'm super curious about because that, that we haven't spent a ton of time on because mm-hmm. um, you have like done tons of stuff and like, experienced a lot of things and have like a, a whole wealth of kind of experience in martial arts, in fitness, in the like business and things. And I just, I'm like, well, what are the things that I'm like, well, this is just out of my own curiosity, you mm-hmm. know? 
Yeah. Um, so, so many things like come to mind, but I remember, you know, you talking about, I'm almost jumping to the end because I think it's something that I find fascinating. And for people who don't know, and you can explain a little bit of like where you're coming from, but like, you know, wrestling, uh, kickboxing, UFC, you know, everything in jujitsu, you know, being a founder of a gym and, and it, and et cetera. We spoke not too long ago and you started talking about how like kind of like a reevaluation of your relationship with competition. Mm. And I find it to be super fascinating considering like the background you're coming from and probably people's like initial perception of you. Mm-hmm. Right. When they meet and that it was something that you were like kind of, yeah, just reevaluating. So, I, you know, I think it's interesting and I'd love for you to like talk about it. And also maybe if you want, you can share a little bit about, you know, where you're coming from and how, how that is relevant to it. Yeah, sure. Um, so that was a big head snap right? Um, changing my relationship with competition. So I started competing in martial arts when I was about six. Uh, I started doing martial arts because I was this scrawny kid, grew up with a lot of uh, loud stuff and aggression. I was scared, right? So, you know, what do you do? You arm yourself, you get, you get weapons, you get tools. Uh, and I wanted to make sure those tools worked. So I started to compete. Scared the shit out of me. But it was just what 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 was scarier finding out that those things didn't work when i really needed them to or going in like the testing ground so that's what i did and it was in taekwondo and then wrestling and you know in college i you know went to college to wrestle stopped wrestling in college and i picked up kickboxing and it was the same type of thing like oh this is a fun skill let me start to play with it and um you know, and then it just continued into jujitsu, you know, mixed martial arts and, and just kind of never stopped. And um, there's a lot I love about competing um, that I, I've learned a lot in my, in my life uh, from competition. And I would say I would never, wouldn't change anything about my past. You know, I don't know if I would do it differently, but I wouldn't do it again. Mm-hmm. Right. Um I mean, it's just amazing. I have all my teeth. We'll just put it, put it at that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I probably have competed about 1200 times in a weight controlled sport. We controlled combative sport uh, in my lifetime. And, you know, with every match, every fight stakes get a little higher and a little higher and a little higher. And before you know it, there's a lot of pressure, right? There's, there's the stuff that gets piled in there. And, um, and it's what you do kind of with that pressure that really, I think is where a lot of the growth is, right? Uh, well, I should say where some of the growth is. So, uh, you know, I learned more about myself in fight camp. I used to do a lot of my camps in, uh, in Albuquerque, I'd go out to Jackson Wink and I'd be there for like six, eight weeks, whatever it was, four weeks, whatever time I could take away from New York. And I'd go and I would just like live in bunk beds with other fighters and you just train like three times a day, five, six days a week. And, um, you know, you're in the desert, you got nothing to do. So you just spend a lot of time training, sleeping, 
eating, right? And getting really focused on you. And I was kind of kept a notebook and a journal because I felt like I learned more about myself in fight camp than I would doing anything else. Just your push to the max. I mean, you know, the old joke, 60% of, 60 of fighting is 90% mental, right? So, I mean, so much of it is really, the majority is really where your head's at. So, you know, you spend a lot of time reflecting and, you know, I would like journal, I'd read actually where I would read uh, Power Versus Force by David Hawkins. That's where I kind of discovered you know, his writing a bit. And I would read that book routinely uh, to kind of help me get through camp and get my head in a good space uh, to fight. So that was a really interesting process, right? And then kind of coming up to, to compete. And, you know, for years, you just kind of toggle with like, do I look mean because I feel scared, you know, because there's now a camera in my face. There's an arena full of people and I'm fucking terrified. In fact, I have a little voice in the back of my head telling me I can't do this, that, you know, I'm a wimp and that I'm going to lose. So shit, you know, the clock's counting down. You can never get warm enough. You got your coach in your corner there telling you, you got this, you got this. And you're like, seriously, just, just, just stop. Unless you're going to go deal with this. It's like, I got too much stuff going on. Just, I just need all these voices just to stop. And, and it's hard, right? Because you feel terrified, but you just have to learn to like put this front out this like ultra, you know, armored persona. And that's just part of the game. It's not necessarily how you feel, but that's what you learn to do. And that's part of competing. Right. Um, and actually, um, you know, we were hanging the other day and you had brought up Andrew Humerman, that, that, podcast on play you know i listen to basically lifespan all about longevity and as a human i find them both very interesting um and i was listening to it and he was just talking about some of the facial features in play versus competition and like you know we we're wired for that i mean in a sense i mean there's a part of humans that are geared towards and almost um enjoy a little bit of conflict, a little bit of friction by, by kind of, by, by nature, right? I mean, if we had to, right, if in confrontation, I mean, any, you know, you put any animal in the corner, right, it will, it will bear its teeth. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think that's necessarily like by our nature, but it's in our biology. And, um, you know, we have all these factors that are behaviors that kind of go around with competition. So, you know, it, by the end of my career, um, I remember some of my last few fights, you know, we were bigger stages, <clears throat> you know, fighting for like M1 Global or like, you know, it was on the Ultimate Fighter show and fighting for the UFC. It's like, how do you, <clears throat> how do you go and compete and um, fight somebody out of a place of love, hmm. right? How do you go, right? Because again, my competition experience is really solely in combative sports. I mean, I've never really played anything else i suck at everything so i'm just i'm just good at, at martial arts um so i mean it, it's it's tough right because you go into a, a very pressure-filled situation where somebody isn't just of equal skill they're being paid you know they're being paid to hurt you 
So it's like, how do you, and I would come out to the, you know, you, you play with it every time. I'd come out to the ring sometimes wild, sometimes really aggressive and mean, and just like start to feel how that felt. How, you know, when did I feel like my gas tank started to like burn out? You know, there's fights that I would start at 100 miles an hour. Like I have altitude cardio. I'm going to push this fight as hard and as fast as I can. And, you know, we'll see who gets tired first. Mm. Um, right. And just be like really, really aggressive. And you can be aggressive, but you can still come out to the ring from a different place of instead of like, I'm going to try to kill this person. Um, you know, you obviously accept the task at hand and you just say, okay, this person is being paid to hurt me mm-hmm. and I don't want that to happen. So, um, I'm going to try to stop that. Uh, but <clears throat> you know, instead of being angry about what you're doing, I mean, you're a pro just, just what it is. You sign the contract. I mean, there's nothing personal about it. You know, I would start to think about all the, um, just like the pure love in my life, right? Like, you know, how lucky I was that I could pursue this journey. How fortunate I was that I had a, a family that even though they didn't like what I did, they supported what I did. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, how much I love my mother and how much my mom means to me, right? And that, that kind of pure, you know, um, just that <clears throat> kind of really pure unrestricted love that that kind of flows in certain relationships, right? Whether it be the partner or a parent or a child. And, you know, how do you make that, how do you hold them like with you when you go to battle, right? And, you know, there, there are different times like throughout history that, you know, samurai or the military would kind of embody more of these ideas instead of being, you know, kind of angry, right? They would think about their wives and their families and, and that's how, that's how they'd go to war, right? Like, no, I forget. I think it was in the Ottoman empire. They would collect their wife's tears. And if they were in a bad place, you know, they, they, they would take their, their wives tears to war in a glass, like a little glass vial. And they say, I'm taking these with me so I can bring them back to you. And basically you don't have to shed any more tears. And they found that like, if they were in a, like a life or death situation, these guys would take this vial out and like kind of drink these tears. And they felt it gave them superhuman strength. Did it? No, it's, it's diluted urine. But, um, you know, it, it put the thought of their, their families in the forefront of their mind. And right. my, it's all my, all mindset. It's all mindset, right? It, 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 what I said before, right? 60% of fighting is 90% mental. Mm-hmm. So, you know, getting their head there. So, and, and those were honestly some of my better performances, right? I, um, you know, we, we have the good privilege of training a lot of jujitsu together. You know, I'd say I'm better in the room than I am in the ring. Mm-hmm. Typically perform, I don't know, at a, like a nine in the room. I'd probably say I go to like an eight in the ring. I drop mm-hmm. a little bit. Some people play up. I probably play down. Uh, the times that I've really played up or at par, it's, I've been able to hold those ideals in, in my mind. But, you know, the reality is it still was terrifying. I didn't like it. Um, and it wasn't until, so years later, so I get, um, so I was on one of the Ultimate Fighter shows, I ended up getting cut from the UFC. It's a weird cross for my life, you know, blah, 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 blah. 
then years later, I ended up on another uh, athletic reality television show geared towards obstacle and adventure racing mixed with combative sports, right? Broken Skull Challenge with Stone Cold Steve Austin. First, uh, love it Steve so Austin, much. Huge love dude. It. Love huge. it. I told you, uh, I, you know, you, I told you I watched a ton of wrestling in like yeah. in the in the late 90s when he was a thing. Mm -hmm. And it was awesome. Still. He's still awesome. Anyway, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I was, I'm a huge fan. No, I mean, love it, love it so much. I haven't talked about beating, meeting like a boyhood, like childhood crush, right? I mean, yeah. same thing. He was the baddest thing. He was the baddest man around. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I always remember this, right? You train until your idols become your rivals, right? Not that I was in competition with Steve, but, you know, there was definitely some people that like I en envied or idolized growing up that like years later I'd get to like train with, or I'd have, I get to like fight, you know, and compete against. And, um, and it was cool, just an honor, right? <clears throat> so same thing. So I, I, I go on the show and um, I do fine, right? I mean, overall perform decently well. I think I get to like the semifinals or something like that. And um, <clears throat> I just realized like in both situations, right on TV, I mean, you know, and, and, and also too, as experienced fighting, you're a professional athlete. And both these experiences, you're on TV, right? I mean, you are at the pinnacle of kind of sports and you realize like you're just not treated well, you know, and in, in both scenarios, it just, it just kind of makes you disappointed. You know, you're like, oh, right. I'm, I'm treated like a, a replaceable commodity, you know, and that just doesn't feel good as a human being. I mean, maybe some people care less. Um, I, I just didn't like the way that felt. So um, either way, actually, not throwing anybody in the bus, you know, I realized, so I competed on the show and there was one, one event, there was a lot of gravel, you know, it was like it's tug of war, basically. I was the smallest guy there. It was all, all the, you know, it was guys probably like 210, 220 go against this bodybuilder, you know, you're tethered at the waist back to back. You got to ring the bell on the other side, three, two, one run. You know, this dude's bigger than me. I, the rope catches, he, he rips me back. Kind of, I turn, just drag, I literally just drag this man through the gravel <clears throat> ring my bell. But I realized like, you know, after I was all kind of scraped up and like, you know, the other events I did, um, you know, actually were then not, uh, the next event was not combative in nature, meaning it wasn't touching another person. But then in the finals, it was, you know, and things like that. And I realized that, like, you know, this is a pro-am. I was a pro. There were some other guys that were pros there. And then there were some other guys that were just high-level ams, like, you know, maybe college athletes and former college athletes, things like that. But I realized, like, you know, one thing that, you know, in fighting, that they're always very careful about is if you're, you know, is you're bleeding on each other, you get tested. Uh, and you're licensed all the time. So, you know, you're licensed, you get tested all the time. So, uh, you know, it was just one of those things. Like I, I got back to my room that day, I'm, I'm washing myself off in the, in the, um, in the shower. And I just realized like, luckily nobody, like once I got cut, I didn't have to wrestle anybody, but, uh, there are other people that did and they're like bleeding on each other and stuff. And I, I was like, I had this moment. I was like, that was gross. And, uh, <laughs> they really didn't care about what happened to anybody here. Mm -hmm. and I immediately like, got out of the shower. I called the production and obviously assistant producer answers the phone and 
I'm like, hey, can I talk to the EP, please? And like, well, what's this about? I'm like, listen, you don't want to deal with this. Like, let me just talk to him. So I tell him what's going on. And like, okay, hold on one second. Obviously, within two minutes, they're down in my room. He said, this really isn't cool. You like, you know, this, this oversight, whatever it was, like, it's not okay, you know. And I don't, I'm not going to make a big deal about this, but um, shame on you, you know. Mm-hmm. And I went back and I just sat with that for a little bit. I'm like, man, these people like, and just to get their show and, you know, like didn't think through kind of everyone's safety and health risks. Um, and if this is, you know, like I said, competition builds. And if this was the arena in which like now I'm playing in that like, you know, it's really more for spectacle and s- sport beyond and not really, um, you know, about, I mean, it's kind of funny to say because I've always been a combat sport athlete. It's not about safety. <laughs> it's not about safety in combat sports. Why am I doing this? Um, but, you know, I just realized like, you know, this doesn't feel great. And why do I, why do I want to do this? At, you know, at the time I was like maybe 28 or 30 at the time, like probably 30. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was sitting with this and I go back and I'm, I'm actually talking to, Marcelo, our, our jiu-jitsu coach, Marcelo Garcia, uh, the goat in, in jiu-jitsu. And, you know, I've been there a long time and I, and I was with him when he was competing. Um, and I would train with him when he would get ready for like Abu Dhabi and ADCC when he was towards the end of his competition career. So, you know, and he had been with me through a lot of mine <clears throat> or some of mine, I guess, towards the end of my career too. And, uh, and obviously, so I guess the common thread there is we were both with each other as we transitioned out of competition. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I'm telling him about this experience and obviously he, he's a martial, he's my martial arts coach, he's my jujitsu coach. So talked to him about, you know, fighting, MMA, stuff like that in the past. Tell him about you know the show, and it just said you know this was just not an enjoyable experience again. And he just turns to me and he goes, "Do you like fighting?" And I pause and I think about it, and nobody's ever asked me that, ever. You know, sixteen professional fights, twelve hundred probably like amateur competitions in wrestling, jujitsu, you know, taekwondo, whatever. You know, I always competed. And nobody had ever asked me that. And, and I just thought, paused, said, I like competing. I don't know if I like fighting, but I like competing. And he just turns and goes, but do you? He goes, think about it. Like, I go to compete. Half the people in the arena are cheering for my blood. Half the people there are putting pressure on me to win. Everybody I know has told everybody they know that I'm fighting probably. And they're all expecting me to win. Mm-hmm. And the people that don't expect me to win, expect me to get hurt. That's not fun. Right. And I was kind of like, you're right. Wow. I never thought of that. And he goes, you know what I like? Do tell. Do tell, wizard. Do <laughs> tell. He goes, I like having something on the calendar. I like having something to drive towards. I like having focus when I train with my friends. I like watching myself progress and get better. I don't like fight night. 
and a light bulb went off. Like, I want to say, like, you know, picture, you picture the light bulb, like, next to, like, someone's head. Like, bing, it was like a light bulb went off on my heart, right? It was like, oh, this is what I've always kind of felt. I've always loved to train, but obviously, if you want to train for a living, you need to compete. There's no money in training for a living, right? There's no money in practice. There's only money in performance. So you have to go compete. And it was, that's why I kind of got into it, right? I didn't even think I wanted a professional career because I thought people treated me oddly. You know, when I turned pro in college, I didn't like how I thought people were superficial. I didn't really like how comp- how, how competition affected the rest of my life. Um, but ultimately, I thought it was more fun to train. Uh, and it was a kind of a more interesting life path, you know, in my early 20s to then kind of to train and travel the world. And to do that, you have to fight. You have to compete. You have to make money somehow, right? You have to make a name for yourself. So um, that's just what it was. And one thing after the next, things build, pressure builds. And, you, you know, he was right. I don't like, comp- I don't like competing. I like the right, focus. Right, but to, but to live that way. Yeah. You're actually lying. You have to convince yourself that you like the fighting and that you yep. like the competing. Hated it. So, so to suddenly have this person who's like quite literally the top of yeah. this thing mm-hmm. to, to give you permission to say, I exactly. don't like it is like an aha moment. Like, oh, not only do I not have to like it, but I don't even have to do it if I don't want to because I don't like it. Exactly. And, and that's exactly what it felt like. It felt like I got permission. For the first time in my life that like, it's okay that I don't like to fight, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you're in a fight camp, right? When I was out Jackson Wink or, you know, it just becomes normalized. It's like, what are you doing this week? Oh, we got to fight, baby. Go break some necks, cash some checks. Woo, this is what Mm -hmm. we do. You know, and it just just becomes a very normal thing about your life, right? But, you know, I kind of draw these parallels between uh, like fighting and sex, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody watches Tom Brady throw the football and it's like, oh, that bum, I could have thrown that ball farther, right? I would have done this on that play. I would have done that. Nobody does that. But people watch a fight say, oh, that bum, I would have used my jab. Oh, he should have taken him down. Oh, he should have ground and pounded him. And it's like, well, listen, let me tell you exactly what would happen if you were in a fight. You probably have such an adrenal dump before you got to the ring, you'd vomit all over yourself and they wouldn't let you compete. But the moment you made contact with a professional fighter, one shot would probably put you down. If they grabbed you, they'd slam you so hard. You just don't even know how to fall. Like that would probably be it. So like, it's, it's very comical that people have this delusion about fighting, right? Cause it's so primitive and primal. Like I said before, that there's a, there's an element of conflict or, or combat in our biology. Right. And where I draw the parallel to sex is like, nobody believes that they're bad at sex. Nobody believes they're bad level. Like, you know, no one's like, I'm the worst lay you're ever going to have, baby. You know, mm-hmm. never happens. So, mm-hmm. but so again, they're both primitive and very primal, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, fighting, conflict and sex are kind of how we've survived in a, in a weird, you know, in different, mm-hmm. you know, in a different context. Um, so, it, you know, it's really interesting. And then just like when you're get further and further into these communities, like all my friends fought, all of them. People are like, oh, you know, I meet people sometimes, oh, that's so interesting. I never met somebody who fought professionally. And I think to myself, really? Like that was all my friends for like 10 years. Right, so then, also, so then it's also just like 
your like entire like social structure all of it is built around fighting right mm-hmm. so it's it's like i mean you know this like i did stand up comedy for 10 years and yeah. i remember the day i decided i was done and basically being like oh who are the other people out there right yeah exactly. who, who are these other people what there, do they there are other do people in the world what yeah who, who like do? what are they, like what do they care about what are they working on how do they speak to each other what are the things right. yeah they don't talk in funny punchlines really yeah. Right. They don't berate each other and just roast one another constantly. Right. Oh, shit. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, ex- exactly right. So, you know, it was, you know, all of them were, were fighters. And, you know, but similar to, and again, I'll just draw the parallel to sex. Mm-hmm. And the oldest profession in the world being prostitution. If you, and I have no judgment on it, right? If you ha- are in working in sex work, just like if you work in combat sports, all your friends work in combat sports. Do you work in sex work? The reality is a lot of your friends are gonna work in sex work. And then it's, again, what are you doing on a Saturday night? Same thing, right? Turning chicks, I'm going to make money. It's no big deal. It's a common thing, right? But again, it, it, it's not in our normal society. Like when you, when you same, 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 same exact thing with your uh, analogy of stand-up comedians in your social circle, oh, there's people outside of that are doing this. And you're like, oh, wait, there are people that, aren't you know selling their bodies for money there's people that aren't fighting for money oh well what are they doing you know and and it just becomes this this this, it's not an incestuous thing but you know it becomes a very like kind of singular focus in you know in your life and then you know i realized like after putting the the notion of competition down my my life got surprisingly got broader Mm. you know like i was just energetically put energy into other things. Right? Well, I re- well, I think about it. Like, I mean, you and I have had like some talks about kind of like values. Cause we speak like philosophically about things, but the idea is basically that like, to some degree competition is like a value that at least you're being told is the thing is like, is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is, is, a, is a major value. Right. And now you're, and now you're saying like, okay, well maybe that's not even high up and maybe it's not even a value that I carry at all. So now you kind of walk back into the world and you're like, oh, like, what are my values? Like, what do I care about? What do I want to see in the world? Yeah, it completely refocus, refocuses that, um, that aspect of your life. And, and you see yourself in a broader sense, right? Because when you compete, it's tunnel vision. It has to be, especially like, you know, the higher level you get, the, the, the more elements the revolve around just that, that singular competition, your competition career, right? Because there's always, I guess, you know, nobody, nobody retires a world champion, right? Mm-hmm. Very few people do. So there's always a ladder to climb. There's always something to do. And, uh, and it, you know, it gives, I think, a lot of people a lot of focus and a lot of meaning um, to their lives and, and to the things they bring into it. And it did for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would always do better in school during wrestling season when I had less time, right? And I had to be kind of focused. You, you want something done, give it to a busy person. Mm. Uh, and even now, like, you know, returning to New York, last 
I don't know, what, six, seven months and um, getting back to the academy, right? After, you know, I broke my scaphoid and then the pandemic, a good 20, 24 months off, right? That was the biggest gap I've ever had in martial arts in my entire life, mm -hmm. um, ever. I mean, I started when I was five. I've never stopped. I'm a big, big fight dork. You know, that's mm -hmm. it. That's all I got. Uh, makes me happy. And I know that. So kind of coming back to that and then reintroducing training to my life after losing it. And I never lost it before. Um, just to feel what that brought to it. And, and also having something to drive for, which was for the first time, I had something to prove to me. I wanted to be back on the map and I wanted to watch myself get back to where I've been and maybe even get a little bit better because I love to learn and, and it's physical chess. Uh, that's very fun for me. So kind of coming back to New York and then just jumping right back into the deep end of the pool saying, I'm going to start training four or five days a week and my body will figure it out. Right. I mean, obviously do all the accessory work, do all the other things I need to do. Right. But you know, the concept of body hardening in martial arts is not a new thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Monks. I mean, whatever. I mean, it does, it takes time for your body to acclimate. I'm sure, you know, you've been coming back more recently. Like you felt it after a little bit, your body's like, Oh, I remember this demand and it figures it out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, coming back and after that initial shock of just feeling like a skid, I just got pummeled every day. Mm -hmm. um, you know, having that focus again mm -hmm. of training four or five days a week, driving towards a goal of just self-improvement, uh, seeing and feeling how that, again, helped balance my life overall. But like, just like it would in wrestling practice, you know, wrestling season as a kid mm -hmm. where I'm balancing multiple things, right? Because right now I've, I work for like a venture studio, you know, like I, I do other work uh, that is outside of the physical realm. So, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, it's juxtaposition sometimes in that and some dichotomy, right. And just feeling that it just creates a very balanced life for me. And not even like, I like to uh, randomly train, train or seldomly train, but like training four or five days a week hard mm -hmm. and what that brings to my life not even wanting to go compete on the weekends you know i mean you've been around people ask me like yeah hey, you want to go do a jiu-jitsu tournament i'm like nope not even a little bit well there's something about you that is i would say a a, a more unique quality and i think it's probably just some of, from like some of your reflections and um probably like the experience of really being so deep in like the competition realm where it's like, it's, it's so kind of like you focus that you get to walk away from it just being you, mm -hmm. you get to walk into like the training space. And we've talked about this and I'll, I'll mention it a little bit, but like, I feel like you're somebody who is super kind of invested in supporting the people you train with. Um, and I mean, like seeing it as like, who's the, like really, not just looking, but seeing who you're training with, like really listening to the person you're training with and being like, oh, like how, how do we best support one another? Right. And, and, and create an opportunity where, where we can, where we can play a game. Yeah. Right. And, exactly. I, we, and, and we talked about this because, 
and this was like a more of an extreme because it's more in line with like what I was presenting, but it was uh, a few months back where I, where we were chatting and I think we got caught off in the middle of it, but I was saying like, when I present things, whether it's playing or the dancing or some version of like a fight type game, my proposition is always like, what happens if you play for the other person? What if you play with the intention of wanting the other person to learn? Mm-hmm. Right. And then you're really listening. So in my case, if you and I have never, never rolled before, but all of a sudden you put your hands on me and I'm like, clearly this person is light years beyond where I'm at. The best thing I can do to help this person learn is probably just give them everything that I got. And in mm-hmm. your case, you feel me and you're like, clearly I'm light years beyond this person in what, in this game. Right. What can I do to help facilitate their learning? And I think you do in a really interesting way of doing this. Like you, you truly listen to like what the other person is doing and, and pose really nice questions physically to be like, Oh, like somewhere down the road, this person can be an even better training partner. If I give that bit of listening right now and support that. Right. And then along the way, I think you probably also play little meta games where you're like, I'm going to put myself in, in the, the more unfamiliar positions because this is less of a threat. Sure. Uh, well, first, thank you for that. Um, very, very kind of you. I, I do try to be a good training partner. Um, you know, I, I've known and I, I've understood for a long time that like you could compete alone, but you can't train alone. And the better that I would say, if I'm the best guy in the room, I need to go to a new room. So the best thing I could do is raise the talent in the room, right? Because it makes me better. Mm-hmm. The better you are, the better I am, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right? It's the old, you could insert whatever Macho's saying here, iron sharpens iron or, you know, whatever, right? Like, and there, but there's some truth to that. Um, so that's kind of like my thought, right? And, and I'm incredibly grateful. I mean, I can't even count the tens of thousands of people that I've gotten to, you know, quote unquote, dance with in my career, right? Like all the kids at wrestling camps as, as you know, all the kids that I would train with as, as a child in wrestling camps and like, you know, just year after year, like off season, freestyle, like whatever. Um, I can't count, right? But I'm very grateful for anybody who's ever trained with me because I wouldn't be where I am without that. And I always think about like, well, what do I want when I train? I want somebody who can point out my mistakes when I'm making them. Um, And, or maybe not when, but like right after, or sometimes in real time, like, you know, we'll be doing stuff and I'll, and I'll say like, move this hand, right. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll direct you. Don't, that's the mistake. Move that. Okay. Now go. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's just how, how I learn. Um, but also, it, you know, it is a, it's a good opportunity to, to teach. And again, the better you get, the better we both get. Um, and it's not even like, yeah, there are different meta games, right? It's like, sure. I'll let you get somewhere and get out of it. Or, you know, can I let you get somewhere and then attack you from there? And like, you felt me do that. And then I'll let you get out of that. And we reset, you know, we're back to a, a kind of a neutral position and we start again mm-hmm. so yeah i mean there is a lot of that and it really is well, because it, because and i think of it so much as like when i hear you talk about competition it's almost being like you've you've brushed competition to the side so much so that you're you're willing to play to play it doesn't mean that you're like it doesn't mean you're not going to sub me right yeah, but, but i but i always think of it as like big dog small dog you're like 
oh, like if two dogs play for five minutes, maybe the big dog will pin him down like one or two times, but he's more invested in being like, well, how do we keep that? How do we keep this going? How do we keep roughhousing a little bit? And, and even so much as like, once in a while you watch a big dog just roll on its back and let the little dog kind of like take its neck for a second or it's, or it's, you know, and there's a kindness in that, but also kind of like a, um, an acknowledgement of like, I'm not here to defeat you. Like I'm here for us to play. And you've even done that with me. It's like, you know, and I don't think it's just because we're friends, but you're like, you've let me get to a place where like, there's like a sub just because you're like, for whatever reason, you're like in this moment, I think it would be valuable for this person to learn what it feels like to like get to a submissive position and, 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 and achieve it. Right. And, and that takes a certain kind of like humility that I just think is so valuable when we look at it from like what it means to be like in a culture where you wish to see more support, more listening, more like caring rather than being like, it's just me. I'm taking care of myself. I'm going to go home. I want to win so yeah. I can go home and like look at myself in the mirror and feel like the best about myself. Polish all my medals and trophies and tell myself how cool I am. Yeah. 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 And I mean, and, and for someone like you, who's like performed at the highest level, you could, I mean, you could sub me, let's be honest, like every 10 seconds for five minutes. Right. It, but the, the, the idea of being either like, of us. Yeah. Right? It's just it's, like, it's, I care about, I care about this other thing. And, and so much learning can happen for both of us if I'm, because even if the learning for you is just enhanced listening, there's a beauty in that. Sure. And, and there is, right? I mean, <clears throat> it, it, there, it is enhanced listening. I get a lot out of this stuff, right? I also think that, you know, again, when we go lots of times when we train, it's working through a certain you know, again, working on your passing, hey, do this, do this, you pass, I'll reset us, right? I'll put you back and we do it again and again. But sometimes it's like, I want you to see where it's going, right? And that's, I think, the role of, you know, uh, a a teacher. It's Mm -hmm. like, I'm going to teach you these smaller bite-sized pieces of information. And then I'm going to teach you how to put them in sequence. And then I'm going to give you the context for it, right? And you're going to see how then now this went from the first thing we did now all the way through you've learned almost the last but by the time like you're two-thirds of the way there you can kind of see that finish line because you've you've gone through it enough right like you, you in theory you kind of get that so you know i think that that's that's why like that happens right i'm like hey finish you know because that that's some of it right the you know I, I always found this to be really interesting um one of hoist grace's hoist gracie's first american black belts told me this this guy rob Kahn. So long time black belt, I mean, just for context. Um, you know, we call it like the 70-30 rule. He's like, in jujitsu, you want to train with people you're better than about 70% of the time. And people that are better than you about 30% of the time. And you'd want to do that because <clears throat> that 70% of the time you want to work on your transitions, your your setups, your timing, your finishes and getting to that end place because jujitsu is about submitting, right? It's about positions, but also getting different positions to the point of submission. And I found that to be really interesting, right? That, oh, right, we need to practice. Um, We need to practice our offense to get good at our offense, right? Mm -hmm. And that being you know, you always think, oh, if I train with better guys, it's going to make me better. Oh, it'll make you better defending, 
Right. Then I put it in the context of other martial arts and jujitsu is very special in that context because, you know, like 70, 30, 80, 20, like you want to work with people probably not as good as you. Right. Um, and maybe it's a 60, 40. Right. But ideally. Right. So you're working on advancing your positions. You're starting to see every possibility at every juncture. Right. And you know where the things are going to go. Wrestling. I'd say it's the other way around. You want to be wrestling with people better than you 70, 80% of the time. You want to be getting blown out. Um, and that's because wrestling is so much, it's going to teach you to cut better angles. It's going to help your timing, your defensive timing. It's going to help develop strength in a way. Jiu-Jitsu is too cerebral, right? It, it's too, there is some timing element to it, but, you know, again, it's so much, it's a path, right? So when, you're, you know, we're working through something and then like where I'm saying, yeah, let's go to finish, right? It, it's, I'm bringing you down a path. And as we move down the path, it illuminates and you can see the trail and the path. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the second time, but you remember, okay, there's a rock there. There's this, there's that trap. There's a, there's this, there's that. Oh, here I got to turn right, whatever it might be. And you go down that path enough, you just know it with your eyes closed, right? You can count the steps. Um, but wrestling, you know, it's probably 70, 30, 80, 20. You want to wrestle with people better than you because that's going to work on your hips, you know, your your ability to move your hips forcefully, you know, turning angles, cutting angles, your timing of, you know, your reactions. And then I'd say boxing, or like, you know, striking arts are probably more 50-50, right? Mm-hmm. Where, you know, they're both equally important to work on your offense and your defense and then, and then putting them back together. Um so, you know, I find that to be really interesting too. And, and that's what makes jujitsu kind of special is because, I mean, wrestling, you can wrestle decently hard most days, but I, I don't think like we train pretty hard and I'm not a train, I'm a train smarter guy, not a train harder guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, you know, Marcelo Garcia, New York City, you know, is one of the meccas of jujitsu, Brazilian jujitsu in the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have current ADCC champions there and guys come for their camps. And I mean, it's a hard training room, mm-hmm. right? Um, and there's a lot of intensity for, you know, the live portion goes 40 minutes to an hour, depending. Um, and it's, a room, and it's a, you know, not only a very high level room of jujitsu, but it's a room full of very tough guys. Mm-hmm. And the whole ramble being, I don't know if I could wrestle in a room of that level every day, you know, like that just might be too much to do hard, hard wrestling, you know, at at 38, at 18, probably, but still that would be a challenge, right? If you're just at like world-class wrestling, um, you're like a world-class wrestling facility, grinding hard five days a week, um, you know, where you really are hitting that, uh, you know, uh, really hitting it on all cylinders, right? I mean, you're just going for an hour. Like, that's going to hurt. So I think jujitsu is very special in that, in that you can spar really hard uh, most days. And, you know, at some point, like, what's the point? I mean, not that I don't like to train hard. I like to train hard. But if it's just about smashing and winning... Like I'll go compete if I want that, right? Exactly. So, so then, so the, let's take the time. Let's, you know, 
I've forgotten more about fighting than most people will learn, right? Like jujitsu included, like, it's just like, cool. It helps me, right. Walking you through those things. And I, and I, and I like that, right. Cause I, I relearn things, but you know, you being better, anybody on the map being better makes me better, right? If, if you're giving me better looks, I get better. I can't get away, get away with the same bullshit. Not that I don't like my bullshit. I love my bullshit. It works for me. But, you know, at the same time, like if, if I'm not being pushed to get better, then, you know, then, then there's that stagnation, right? Well, you also, said, you also said something the other day that I really liked because I said I was having a conversation with one of the instructors and saying that there was someone who teaches like some conceptual things that I really like. Because I think, um, of course, like in the day and age of YouTube and, and everything being a commodity, you want to be able to talk about exactly what you learned. So in, in the realms of a, a lot of physical things, that's like moves and techniques, things that have names, right? Mm-hmm. And as great as they are, it, the more moves and techniques you have is not synonymous with your ability to play the game. Because right. as I, I always talk about Paul Schreiner, I had him here on the podcast and he was right. like, the art of jujitsu is not the techniques, it's the space in between, right? And to me, getting to explore the, cons- the conceptual stuff is the space in between, right? And that's like that balance, dance of spirit and technique. And spirit is like, to me, in this case, kind of close to experience, right? So all of that to say, like, if you know how to do all of these crazy techniques, but you've never just spent time trying to hold somebody down, just try to hold someone down. Like that's that space in between, right? right? Or be underneath somebody who's trying to hold you down, right? Or stay in this position and move around and not lose your structure, right? right? You know, play like pummeling games, play like, you know, just hold somebody inside control, like these types of things and the conceptual mm-hmm. stuff. And that's where like the little micro surprises happen. Right. That's where you're like, you're learning the things that you can't articulate. You can't go to the bar after and be like, Hey, I learned, you know, the flying arm bar or whatever. It's like, Oh, like we just held each other, like whatever. Yeah. The conceptual things really matter. And when I brought this up to you and talked about like not getting so addicted to competence that we're not creating the opportunities to be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. And for someone like you, who's like, as you said, you've, you've rolled with more people than a, a the average person could like fight in multiple lifetimes, even if they were a hobbyist in, 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 in some sort of martial art. And you said something like, oh, you know, my favorite moments are these times where like someone does surprise me and it makes you laugh because you've done so much of it that like it, it probably just doesn't happen as often in that way. But it's like, it's an enriching moment where you're like, oh shit, like something real to learn just happened. Oh yeah. And, and it's not even so much like real to learn. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it just, yeah, I giggle. I, I straight up, I just straight up giggle. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it is, it's, you can, there's context, right. And there's moves and there's like, okay, yeah, I learned an arm bar and this and, but really how you apply it is everything in between. Right. It's, it's the, it, it is the context in which you use these, moves in, in, in a sense, right? Right. Like you were talking to me about, you know, again, this is, this is not like a move, but you were talking about like circular movements and oscillating my weight from like my hips to my chest, you know? Right. And like, that's just feel, that's just like, you just got to go sense that. 
Sure. Right. Or like when I talk about the concept of wrestling up and for those, you know, if you could picture jujitsu, somebody is typically in a guard position on their back or seated and someone's like kneeling or standing above them. You know, when I start coming up and like forcing you into a wrestling position or a wrestling uh, kind of scenario, you probably don't want that. Uh, or, or maybe you do, but either way, it's going to make you apply pressure down to me. Right. So, you know, I'm doing something that uh, maybe I want it, maybe I don't, but more than anything, I'm trying to get a reaction from you so then I can engage the game, right? So, okay, now here's your weight. Now we can start to play. Uh, now I have, you're pushing into me. Okay, now I can start to do some of the things that I, that I like to do. Um, and again, it's, it's very much, okay, this theoretical, if I drive, he pushes. Okay, now I can start to kind of time these things. Um, but the... you know, it's in those exchanges that are fun, right? Because it's not like nobody's going to like do a move or a submission or, I mean, sure, stuff happens, right? I mean, I'm like, I'll have to ask like, what was that? Or whatever it is every once in a while, but you know, nobody hits something that I have probably haven't seen um, or, or, or enough, but you know, sometimes like in those transitions, um, you know, it's like the moments between the moments things happen. And, and when I'm surprised, yeah, it does. It honestly makes me giggle. And it's funny to think about because here I am going a million miles an hour. Like it actually happened. Uh, I was training with Marcelo on Thursday and I forget what it was. It was, we were like in this hand fighting position. I think he was trying to pass. Um, I had his arm like a strong two on one. And then his other hand was on my tricep and he had a grip in such a way that like, I, I couldn't get to where I needed to be. Mm -hmm. And so ultimately like I just jumped off it. I let it go and I tried for something else and he held that grip. And then we, we stopped again and I just started laughing. I'm like, man, that grip I was like, it's giving me problems. And I just thought it was funny. You know, I mean, I don't think he kind of has the same humor when he rolls, but like, it was just like, it was this funky thing that he was doing that was just giving me a problem in that moment. And I just didn't see it and I couldn't get around it. And, um, and there was actually a, just this week too, there was, a, um, you know, Pablo, the, this newer um, black belt from, from Ecuador, I believe he is, a, you know, really nice guy, a little bit smaller competes and he has a funky style. Like he um, a little, you know, I don't mean to disrespect a little sporadic. Like he doesn't have like this cohesive game that he keeps coming back to, but he has a lot of really good parts to his game. Like he's pretty good barambola and like, you know, so certain things. So, uh, and he, and he's pretty fun because we'll be in an exchange and then he'll just do something very different, you know, like, uh, and he's fast, he's athletic and, you know, at the same time, I'm not trying to pin him down. I'm not trying to necessarily, like, win. I mean, he's, you know, an experienced guy trained in a different part of the world. Like, I want an exchange. I want to dance, you know. And he'll do stuff, and I'll just start laughing. You know, I'll giggle, and, like, I'll, I'll, I'll fight back to, like, more of a neutral position. And I'll tell him after. I'm like, man, you're just so fun to roll with. I appreciate you, you know. Um, and I think that's really fun. And I find that that happens, and it happens when – um, typically in a scramble um, mm -hmm. or in a heated exchange. So there's like a back and forth or nobody has any sense of uh, legitimate control. 
and maybe I'll be driving to something that I feel is good and, and usually works for me. And then they'll hit me with something that I didn't see coming. And again, it's low. Right. It's, 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 it's like a moment, though, that takes you out of your game. Well, yeah. I mean, I go right back to it. You know, I think, OK, how do I salvage this situation or this position? And OK, I go there. But mm-hmm. like, you know, it just it's just something I didn't see coming. And it, it, again, it's a low stakes game. You know, in a fight on fight night, I'd be like, oh, shit, this is a problem. Right. Uh, but in the room, I welcome it, right? Even if it is a competitive role. Like I laugh because I think it's fun. And honestly, those days that I even have one giggle, like mm-hmm. my my day is elevated for the rest of it, um, right? Because it really is that sense of play. It's, it's low stakes. It is literally two dogs rolling around on the ground, mm-hmm. you know? And to be able to be surprised with new things in a way that like I understand what's going on, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm completely aware of, of the situation, the level of danger. Uh, and then to be surprised with something, um, you know, and, and it's not like, oh, there's a surprise and all of a sudden I'm like done and stuck in a position or stuck in a submission. I mean, then there's, the, you know, again, it's a scramble. Nobody's in control, but it, it definitely adds a certain level of joy to my training and it was after, because we, we've talked about this, right? And obviously you're big into play and that's been uh, a, a drum you've been hitting, hitting for a little while now. Um, and our conversations provides a different context to that. For me, it's, it, you know, it's funny actually thinking about it. So, um, you know, this, this guy, Johnny Grippo used to be uh, at, at the Academy and he's a very good, very good jiu-jitsu, a very good competitor. Uh, and very serious about his training. And, and again, rightfully so. When you are uh, competing at a world stage and that is what you do, you should take it seriously. And, you know, again, he's a slightly smaller guy, really agile, really good game. And this is a number of years ago. And we were training and um, I, we just got into like the same sort of thing, this scramble, this back and forth. And again, he's a world-class black belt. He pulls just something I didn't see right i kind of like salvage the situation we reset uh kind of in like an open guard position and i'm giggling and i'm slapping i could just tell he was so pissed he immediately just dives at my foot and toe holds me you know mm-hmm. and i was like all right that's cool man like cool let's go again no problem you know i mean i don't need to pop an ankle over it it's not a big deal mm-hmm. uh but he was not amused by it whatsoever and that's fine right i mean i just find it as long as i i guess uh i hope i never offend anybody when i start to giggle when we roll uh, mm-hmm. But it's, you know, it's not in everyone's wheelhouse. And I get it when, you know, when you're going out and it's a killer be killed scenario and you're, you are driving every day to be the best you can be. It's hard to make it a game. Um, well, but- especially, especially when there's like a culture built, not, not, not jujitsu culture. Yeah. Like American culture that like preaches like, like winning, right. Pre- mm-hmm. Preaches like don't fail that there's like a stigma there, you know, like I surprised somebody the other day when I was training and it's just like a situation where like, it's someone who I actually just kind of like, I like kind of having like a playful role with, right. Like maybe I've had like a few more years, maybe I'm slightly bigger, you know? Mm -hmm. And I got to this like kind of like funny orthodox, unorthodox position, but I could have clearly gotten some sort of sub and like, I'm, I'm standing there and, and like pinning them down and they're like, just, just do the thing. Just do the, just do the sub. Like telling me, like looking at me in the face, just like, just do the thing. And I was like, 
but I don't want to. Like, I know I can do that. Mm-hmm. And that's like a surprising, because it's almost like un-American in some way to be like, I don't need to win right now. What right. happens if I take the step past it and go to the place where I get a little bit lost? Because I'm a little more interested in getting lost than like getting to the peak. Right. You yeah. know, and, and that's a challenging thing. I know it's so small and fine, but like that lost feeling, that surprise feeling is such an exciting little place where you're like, well, I'll just breeze right past the, the super familiar peak that like I, I, I know I can get to, right. to just be like, well, maybe on the other side, there's like a valley and maybe there's some deer down there that I haven't seen yet. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly right. Well, you know, it, it, like you said, America loves a winner and can't stand a loser, right? I mean, that's just what, what it is. And, you know, I mean, even just think about it, like human, humans in general, we're, we're about conquest, mm-hmm. right? Nobody has said, you know, how, somebody, how many times have you climbed Mount Everest? How many times have you summited Mount Everest? Nobody says, oh yeah, I got to like explore most of the base camp. And like, I walked around the whole kind of mountain and explored it. It was really cool. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, cause we just don't. Right. But that's pretty cool. You know, you were at altitude and you got to like, see a lot of like the base of Everest and like, check it out. You know, people just want to go up one path, go up, come down. Right. And yeah, there, there's definitely limits to that. Um, there's a, and- I forget that. I forget the name. I was just talking to a friend yesterday. I'm going to get the name of this book because I feel like it's a book you and I should both read. I think it's like in our wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. It's a short book. I think it, it's super famous. It's written by, I forget the name of the woman. I'm going to figure it out for you. But the idea was like, it was, I think the book is called something like walks in the mountains, something mm-hmm. like that. And at one point, apparently she even points out, this is just me reiterating what my friend said that like getting to the peak is actually not even that great. She's just like, you don't have the best view. You know, there's, there's not a lot of space. There's nowhere else to go. You're just kind of like stuck up there. Mm-hmm. Like staying down a little lower, you get to look at, you get to see all these peaks and you get to walk around and like move through different terrain constantly. And yeah. like, there's like a beauty in that. And, and yeah, it's like, we get so focused on peaks yeah. that like walking around and through the mountains is beautiful and amazing and might even be in, in many cases more satisfying. Probably will be. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. on, in the law for, you know, just regarding like the long-term standpoint and and we do it. I mean, all the time, right. I want to get better. Cool. Well, give up the things that you do well and do the things you don't do well. Right. And that's mm-hmm. a very hard thing to do because in that time you're going to lose. So you better make it a game. Right. Right. Yeah. So it, it, you know, that's, but that's hard for people's ego, right? It, it, it's, it's actually in this culture too. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. We're, we're very ego driven, egocentric, you know, uh, and you know, it's something came to mind, which was, um, you know, throughout my career, like, again, I've gotten to train with the, the best guys in mixed martial arts, you know, for years. And this was probably like, had to be like 15, 14 years ago, right? 13 years ago. I used to, I used to kickbox a lot with George St. Pierre when he'd be in New York. And that's actually how I ended up out in Albuquerque was through George. And I'd kickbox with him down at the Watt. So Phil Nose would call me up and say like, hey, George is coming in. Can you come down and spar? So I'd come in and be like, you know, 10 a.m. on like a Tuesday or Thursday, typically when we do it. 
it'd be a room just you know half dozen 10 guys and you know guys like Cosmo Alexander you know Wayne Bear like world kickboxing champions and George myself and like a few guys Frank Edgar even really like kind of the who's who in the northeast of kickboxing and MMA and um you know, first thing I actually want to say is George was the nicest, one of the most nice and humble people I've ever been around. And, uh, you know, I came down and sparred with him for the second time and he came right up to me at the ring and goes, hey, Brendan, uh, you know, thanks for coming down here to spar. At the time I was actually upstate, uh, living mm -hmm. upstate. He's like, I know you commute in to, to train. So, you know, I, I really appreciate it. And thank you. And that's kind of, I think, you know, just dovetailing back we we're talking about earlier is, you know, it was clear like just, in even just in that exchange like he appreciated me being there and wanted me to be better because it made him better you know like um you know because he asked me a little bit about my training and like you know he gave me a few of his thoughts which obviously i wanted to hear because he was you know the, a very dominant world champion at the time and um you know <clears throat> but he said something really interesting so we're sitting there talking and, and maybe like this was another time because, you know, we'd just be there wrapping our hands, kind of shooting the shit. And somebody asked him, he was talking about his training schedule. This is what it was. You know, it was again, we'll say 10 a.m. on a Thursday. I think someone asked, what are you doing after this? He goes, oh, I'm going to eat. And then I'm going to go roll jujitsu. Um, or me, yeah, I'm going to go roll jujitsu. And I'll eat again. And then I have a strength and conditioning sessions at night. And, um, you know, I got to do this. I can do that in between. And um, somebody asked him, like, so, like, what keeps you motivated, right? So here's a guy, right? Talk about competition. Talk about motivation. Here's a guy, you know, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to go back and look at the stats. I don't even know how many times he defended the welterweight world championship for the UFC. But, I mean, it was for years. He was the top of that list, pound for pound, top of that list for a long time. And, you know, so you have all the fame. You're at the pinnacle of the sport. He's made plenty of money. What keeps you motivated, you know? So, and he had a grueling training schedule. I mean, brutal. And we're all training, you know, like we would spar each other, but we were really all there for George, right? He was getting ready for a fight. So we'd give him certain looks like, hey, his opponent does this. Okay, we'll start to mimic those things for him. So the focus is really on him. The attention is really on him. And I can only imagine it's like that at every single practice, every day, everywhere he goes all the time. And that's hard. And it's just like, how? what keeps somebody motivated, right? And again, you made all the money. You're the best guy in the world. I mean, other than its ego, like I want to remain the best guy in the world. And he said something really interesting. And, and you know, just with the context to play and being, you know, again, when you compete at a high level, there's no room for play, right? Uh, I think this is the most playful response that somebody in his position could have given, which was, he goes, you know what I think about before I spar, like really hard before I'm going to have a really hard session like this? And I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, this is this is a gem. I'm like 23, 24 years old, up and coming pro. I'm like, lay it on me, big bro. I want to hear this. And he goes, if I was locked in a room with a 130-pound ape, the ape would kill me. The ape would rip my limbs off, rip my face off, and the ape would kill me. 
And, it, and it's like, okay, so the baddest man on the planet thinks about how he would be just ripped apart limb from limb if he was trapped in a room with an ape. That keeps him humble. Okay. Man, that's so awesome. It just makes me think about this book that I'm reading right now called Come of Age by this guy, Stephen Jenkinson, who I've had on here. And yeah, I know I've told you about Stephen Jenkinson, but he was talking about like the wilderness and how there's this whole section kind of about the wilderness and that like the wilderness doesn't care that you're a human. Like when you go to the wilderness, like you're not the special creature anymore. No, no one cares. No right. One cares. And it's not, it's not that it's like, it's not that you're guaranteed to not make it. Mm-hmm. It's just that like the whole playing field evens and you're just part of the thing. Yep. Right. So in some ways hearing you say that it's kind of George St. Pierre saying like, no matter how fucking crazy elite human on a physical level I can be, yep. there's still the wilderness. Yeah. Exactly. That's almost what I'm hearing and just being like, it doesn't, it's fucking cool, but it's not, it's, 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 there's still nature, the world wilderness like that, that, that there's, and you can never be, and you can never beat wilderness. Yeah. And I think that that's so, yeah, that's like a profound thing to state. And as you said, super clear in like the humility around it that like there is a limitation so all i'm gonna do is just like do the do do the human thing and know that there's that and know that the wilderness is out there right and also i'm not gonna take this too seriously right like exactly there's there's a lot of humility to that statement but there is it, it there is a lightness to it like i can only imagine i mean obviously you know he was fighting at a much bigger stage at the time, but like I'd get nervous before those practices, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'd have a little butterflies. I'm like, man, this is a room full of really good guys, you know? Right. Uh, you know, I'm 20, you know, early in my career, you know, right. I get a little nervous. So it's like, you know, not only just the humility, but like the kind of the playfulness to it, like, Hey, you know what? Fuck it. Like, I'm not worried about these guys. Cause I'm really worried about the ape anyway. And that's kind of funny to think about. Yeah. Uh, and I'm a world champion. So whatever, who, you know, the monkey would yeah. kill me. And yeah, exactly. I love I, that. I know where I stand in the hierarchy of the world, you know? So, you know, you might fanboy me, but I know, I know where I, I really am. Right. Exactly. Like you think I'm great, but 130 pound monkey would shred me. Exactly. Yeah, and I like, love it. Right. And then the bio, you go to the biology around that, right? They're 800 times, their muscle fiber, I think, is 800 times more dense, or some four, six, 800 times more dense. So, 100 pound ape would be the strength of like an 800 pound man type by that math. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a really beautiful. Yeah. I think, I think that that's amazing. I love that that was like what he said. I just, I think it's so perfect. And it's something that like, a nice reminder for people again, like to bring it back to that wilderness thing, like cool humans, like what we have is amazing. Yeah. But like, once you enter the wilderness, it's, it, it, you doesn't matter now. Right. You know, it, it was such an ego check, right. To be like, Oh wow. This dude's got his ego in check. Good for him. You know, like that's, and it keeps him humble, keeps him motivated, you know, mm-hmm. awesome. Right. Like it's just so interesting. And again, you 
I don't, you ask a lot of these guys to talk about it. You know, I don't think George likes competing too much. I mean, it's a scary thing, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's a lot of pressure, you know, I mean, like you do it because you want to train, you do it because you want to make money, but everyone's scared. I don't think like, I mean, I think you can, you get used to it and you can get your mind in a good place around, mm-hmm. you know, high level competition, especially in a combat sport. But um you really like it's it's hard to just like welcome it and like love it like oh i, I love it but you gotta you gotta love the scrap you know mm-hmm. um you you but everyone's built a little differently right and i think that uh you know combat sports and competition in combat sports is a very honest thing in the world mm-hmm. right like you um you can see into someone's soul right like you mm-hmm. see it all the time people really don't like each other they talk a lot of a lot of trash going up to the fight they scrap and after it's just like respect and nothing but love obviously someone's coming out of there a winner someone's coming out of there a loser they know that going in mm-hmm. but it's like the old um it's the old bushido code right like i'm you're in the ring i'm gonna give you the respect that you deserve to be there because you deserve to be there and mm-hmm. i'm gonna throw everything i can at you and if you're still standing well you're right you know like i i respect that and you know, I jokingly say, like, I've never lost a fight. I've only run out of time, right? Like, I've never been TKO'd. I've never been submitted. I've never been knocked out. I've broken my jaw. You know, like, mm-hmm. I fought for rounds with a broken jaw. I learned a lot about myself in that moment. You know, like, between rounds, my core was like, you want to stop? You want, like, I, I knew I was hurt. I was like, no, no, I'd rather die than quit right now. And, um, you know, because it's a very honest thing. I think, uh, you know, Mateus, one of our, uh, Mateus Dintz, um, one of our coaches at, um at Marcelo's who's ADCC uh, world champion, the current champ right now. And, you know, he says all the time, he's like, you know, I train hard with people. Like I can see into their soul mm-hmm. uh, because you can, you kind of, you see past their heart, you see, you see into their heart, you see into their psyche, you see into their will. And, and it is a very honest thing, a very honest thing. Right. I mean, because, you know, you could be dead tired. Um, you could be outgunned and, you know, out basically out tech, you know, be the smaller guy, have the other person have better technique, being in bad positions. Do you accept it? Right. Do you fight? Do you know when to fight? Conserve your energy. Like there's a lot of things to it. Or you just like lay there and just let somebody beat up on you. Right. And, you know, that's what he's referring to. It's like, even though you're tired, what are you going to do? Even though you're losing, what are you going to do? And it's the people that are tired, are losing and still are like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do anything I can to correct this, right? That you really respect, right? I think, um, again, this is why everybody wants to be good at fighting, right? Mm-hmm. Because it, there's a lot of honor to it, right? I mean, so I think a lot of things in society actually stem from combat, right? Um, in modern society, uh, one of which, and this might get a, a lot of, uh, a lot of hate but i think basically all of fitness stem from combat right combat sports or not even sports there wasn't sports at the time but if you wanted to learn how to move your body you wanted to get in shape what'd you do before there was gyms you'd go to the military you you join the samurai right it was a byproduct of the training like hey you better be in shape because if you're not shape you can learn all the sword skills you want you're gonna die right <laughs> if you can't if you can't yield a sword for half an hour right so there's you know, it's a byproduct of this training. It's like, again, what I was saying before of like tools and weapons, like, you, 
you know, you learn these tools and weapons, but you still need the munition to apply them, right? You still need that, that gunpowder. You still need, you know, be able to yield these tools for a long period of time. And that's, um, you know, and that's where some of these other elements kind of come into fighting where you really get a feel for somebody's kind of personality, energy, heart, soul, whatever you want to call it, you know, uh, is, just that compilation of what they start bringing to the table, you know? Um, well, it's a whole mountain of uh, nonverbal communication, right? I always say that like playing, dancing and fighting, the distance between them is, is not far, especially on like the sensory level, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like on the nervous system level, like, you know, what's happening in, in terms of like the deep full body listening, right? right. And when you're playing authentically, the same as having like a good, rich conversation that's super authentic. You're learning about that person playing, dancing, or fighting, mm-hmm. right? Like the, it's, it's, and, and the more tuned in, the more potential you have to like, listen, the more you're going to be able to like hear what they're saying. Right? right. And that's what I said. And that's why, you know, when I complimented you earlier and was saying like, oh, like you're somebody who to me listens deeply, you know, like when I roll with you, like I can, I can feel listened to, Right. And that, and that is the unspoken skill that transcends the space of fighting and transcends the space of play and transcends the space of like dance, right? right? That goes like into culture and you're like, oh, like you can fight and you can learn these things, but you can also fight and you can learn how to listen deeply right. and yeah. enter the world. And like, to me, that's like a thing that I care about and that I want to see in the world. Um, so yeah, I think that you know it's so easy to get kind of caught up on the on on the, on the small potatoes when there's mm-hmm. like there are the big richer things that come out of this, you know. Yeah, I mean, I get I get so tuned into you when we train or like whoever I'm training with. It's like I'm listening to how you're breathing, mm-hmm. right? Like that's where like I can feel everything you do. I can feel where you're tight, like where you're holding on to me, how much pressure you're driving from your feet. I can st- like if you're close enough, I'll hear and feel your heartbeat. Right, right? and, and I that's can- it. And I can process all that information, right? I'm listening to how you're breathing. And I'm telling you, I'm like, relax, change your breathing, slow your breathing down, hold just, and again, we talked about a few weeks ago, it was volume, right? Like there's a lot of noise sometimes. Every At every point of contact when you train, it's making a noise in a sense, right? If you talk about listening. And I said, think about what's, you know, and it's hard to discern what the, what is the loudest thing in that moment, but try to pay attention to volume of these points of contact, right? And again, it comes down to kind of listening um, and, you know, just being attuned to and aware of kind of the, the people you're training with, because it does, it, it, it will either win you the fight, you know, help you be a better training partner, you know, w- whatever it is. And, and, tr- and transcend that space. And like transcend the, the, the listening Absolutely. you learn in those spaces is not limited, limited to what happens in those walls. Like you, like it's a meta skill. It's a meta skill. It's a skill that follows you into your life. Completely. I and, mean, that, and, and that's like, you know, if people are like, Oh, like the, the, the bigger pieces, you know, the stuff that like you don't really see on the film or whatever, you're like, those are like the magical qualities, you know, like that's the stuff where it's like, if you're turning, you're tuning into like the hunter and prey skills, right. Of like sure. your senses being more alive and you're like, Oh, like I have more potential for nonverbal communication when I enter the world. Right. You know, I think that so much of actually our brain 
uh, is really designed for that. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm a big evolution theory guy and, you know, I, the body makes sense to me and in the context of a hunter gatherer mm-hmm. and, you know, we we use around 10% of our brain. Well, the other 90%, a lot of it does all the functions that we don't have to think about. Okay. That's some of it, mm-hmm. right. But the, the big part, uh, the thought is that we use a lot of our cortex for all the information that we would have to remember to survive, right? Like, you know, the migration of animals and the seasons and where food was and like all these really subtle things, really subtle that we are just turned off to. And I can say after 33 years, I laugh as I say this, cause you know, it's 10,000 hours to be a pro and I don't even, I'm 30, 40,000 hours in, you know, I kind of, um, I've, I've spent a lot of time doing this. Um, I kind of suck if I think about it. Um, but you know, you turn, part of your brain does change, right? Um, to process things in a different way and and remember things and to sense things and to feel things that like, I know wasn't there 20 years ago. I know it wasn't there 30 years ago, you know? Um, I had an experience of this actually in, so, you know, after fighting, I got into startups and, you know, all sorts of stuff and end up in this, antler program basically it's like a a joke and say it's it's a think tank with uh, 99 smart people and me uh put on by a bunch of mckinsey consultants basically and but there were some seriously smart people like uh brains and minds that i hadn't really been able to interact with before and you know rocket scientists from nasa i mean you kind of get the type and i realized like i would be talking to these guys and they were curious about me and how my brain works and at first i didn't get it um, and we would talk more about it. And I realized like, oh, wow, well, like my brain is quite a bit different than these guys and they're brilliant, right? And, uh, but we just like think and process differently. And I was in very, became very curious about how they process and thought and, and things like that. But I realized that like, as an example, what I was talking about, how your brain can kind of learn these skills and like these, these kind of like nuance um, things, these skills that we may be forgotten is, you know, I didn't think this was a big deal, but, you know, fighting, everything's about kind of rhythm and cadence and controlling rhythm and cadence. Right. So I'm in a rhythm, right. And it's a, it's like almost I'm dancing. You think of a, an easy analogy as a batter in baseball in the batter's box is he, he has, I think a pitch comes out at like two, uh, like two tenths of a second. He has to read and react to that pitch. And again, physics governor universe, an object in motion stays in motion. Is he at a dead stop or he's, he's kind of moving a little bit in that batter's box. So he's already in motion and can time the pitch, right? So it's the same thing when you fight, you're in this like rhythm, right? You have this, this little dance that you're doing. It literally will go to a cadence in your brain, right? Right, whatever that cadence is. When I used to teach fighting, sometimes I'd set up metronomes and I'd set a metronome for people. So that cadence was external, right? And it would help them get onto this rhythm. So I'm in my rhythm and I want to stay in my rhythm because that's how I conserve energy. I'm also now counting my opponent's rhythm, right? So now I have two beats going, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm in my dance and I'm also, I hear my, my beat. I'm also now counting another beat, right? And counting that dance. I have to think about my offense and everything I've worked on for the last two months. I need to think about his offense and the counters we've worked on right? And how I keep bringing that back to my path forward. I need to be able to then think about 
how to, when he, um, you know, again, any overall bigger game plan, right? Not just in the micro exchanges of like, okay, I do a jab, he's doing this, like jockeying for small positions, but what am I looking for round to round? Am I going to wait till the second or third round to start being more aggressive, right? And, and I like kind of pace myself in that kind of cadence. While all this is going on, you can drown out every noise in the arena and only hear your coach's voice. Block everything else out where that comes through very clearly. Now, I didn't think about that, but that's kind of weird, right? Not weird, but like unusual, right? To like that, and that's what my brain does. So in this program, it was kind of fun because you'd ha- you basically spin out consulting assignments and have to present them a couple times a week. Well, after I discovered that this was kind of different and unusual, uh, I decided to do my next pitch that was, uh, I think it was about mining and, and talk about the dangers of mining and it was some safety equipment around um, mining. Uh, I started by shadow boxing and I started for the first minute of the pitch, just shadow boxing in the front up by the screen and talking about how fighting is dangerous. And I used to do that. And then actually what really was dangerous is mining. And I, for the first, like, you know, 45 seconds, I shadow box and gave a pitch, mm-hmm. right? Like to a hundred people on something I didn't really know, but that, that wasn't hard for me to do, right. To have that motor skill going, still be able to talk, still be able to think, right. And just kind of have this thing going on, right. Still being aware of the room, telling people to change slides, pointing at things like it just wasn't hard. And, you know, but it was interesting, right. It was the first time I realized like, Oh, that's an unusual skill that most people don't have. And again, it's going back to that, like your brain can adapt, especially, you know, when your life depends on it, right? Mm -hmm. Like when your life depends on it and in fighting, you are in a life or death situation, or at least you're, you know, most of the systems in your body read it as such, Mm -hmm. right? You know, when you're in that live, like kind of high stakes fight, like you you start to change, right? You, you, same thing, hunter gatherer. If you had to remember when this, when, when, whatever herd migrated that you needed to be there because it gave you enough food coming out of the winter. And if you didn't, you were going to die because, you know, a family ever died the, the year before, like you'd remember, you would remember, right. Mm-hmm. If your life depend, you'd remember. So, um, and it was just one of those things. I got to have a lot of experiences where my body thought my life depended on these things and, you know, it changes your brain. It does. Um, so going back to the initial point of conversation, competition is great. I've done a lot, but uh, I'm over it. <laughs> that is the the perfect like mic drop yeah very very nice like bring it all the way around bring, bring it full circle you know it was- I, I i i know i know you're like you're not uh uh active terribly on social media mm-hmm. um but i also do want to make sure that like people have a way to contact you uh if you would like people to contact you sure. and I was, like make friends yeah. Yeah, what's what is the way to do that? Is it like a, a website? Is it email? Um, yeah, so there's um, brandonweefer.com. That's just really just a CV. But uh, I, if there's not email on that, first name, last name, and Gmail, or mm-hmm. you can find me on Instagram at uh, Brendan Weefer, B Weefer, B W E A F E R. Don't check him very much, but. Uh, Actually, no, I check it sometimes. I just don't post much, but I'm around. Nice. And I know that you 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 put out that uh, it's through BJJ Fanatics, right? The the, the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that, that came out like a year, almost a year ago, maybe, maybe like 
yeah, maybe like 10 months ago. That was fun. That was a fun pandemic project, right? I get bored. So my big thing was studying data science and uh, did a tutorial, I guess. That was uh, the downtime. And that's always fun. It's the art and science of strength and conditioning, uh, the art and science of combat conditioning, excuse me. And it is just talking about a few principles on ways to prep your body for combative sports and things to do to kind of help yourself stay healthy, right? Because if you're the best, it doesn't matter if you're Michael Jordan, you know, if you're injured, you're on the bench. It doesn't matter, right? So being healthy keeps you in the game, keeps you in the fight. Um, and that's really kind of what, what that was about. Um, but fun, it was a fun thing to do. Um, I, I've loved how, I've loved to see how Bernardo has taken BJJ Fanatics and really run with it. Um, I love to see my friends start cool projects and find success with it. And so it's been really like, I'm, I'm honored and humbled to have contributed. Um, but I mean, there's so much good stuff on those platforms. I mean, he, they've done such a great job at sourcing some of the best talent in the world um, to kind of make these tutorials. So that's, I was, just, that, that's just bjjfanatics.com, something like that. Yeah. yeah bjjfanatics.com. Um, I mean, and they've even bought out like all the competitive, I mean, basically if you're buying some kind of like sports tutorial, chances are like these guys own the, the companies. They've bought a bunch of obscure things, racquetball, they do racquetball tutorials. Like That's amazing. They've, they've done, yeah, they've done great. So I was just happy and thrilled to like have contributed and to have been a small part of it, uh, but it was really fun. Um, and you know, what's actually really fun too is some people will buy the tutorial and then reach out to me on social media and ask me questions. And I actually appreciate that. Um, one, because they have the balls to reach out to a stranger and, and uh, you know, tap me on the shoulder. And it's, you know, it's never a bother. Uh, I always like to help, right? To going back to the point earlier of like, hey, if I can help you get better, I get better. This is good, right? Um, so people have reached out and kind of asked for some clarification or some more additional information or whatever it might be. So that's, I always kind of enjoy that. It makes me feel important for like 30 seconds. <laughs> 